Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Welcome to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you missed any of my talk radio breakfast show, don't worry. We've put some of the punchiest bits of this morning's show into a bite-sized podcast. The Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. Enjoy. Online, on DAB and on the talk radio app. Talk Radio. Uh, right, well, let's talk about uh, the, the defence side of things here. Huge sums of money, £16.5 billion. Pounds. It, uh, it, Billy uh, does address that shortfall you had of up to £13 billion in your 10-year equipment plans. Uh, how were you able to persuade the Chancellor, who doesn't seem to find money for a lot of other things, uh, uh, other, other demands from other departments, um, to uh, give up that much cash? Well, I think that's about to the Chancellor. Uh, you know, he, uh, he's... Spent two hundred billion pounds on uh, COVID response, whether that's uh, upgrading universal credit, support to businesses, uh, and a lot of other things. And I think that is a you know that, that perhaps puts sixteen point five billion in in perspective. Um, you know, we spend one hundred and seventy billion pounds alone on health. So, so I think I think what I would say is, uh, you know, in the end, the prime minister absolutely knows that one of you know, one of the planks in delivering both global Britain, but also response to this COVID is our armed forces. You know, resilience is what we do. We provide defence and security and the knowledge of how to get through crises uh, across the whole of government. Uh, right from day one, we've had people in every single uh, department nearly off Whitehall helping them get through this. We have 3,000 troops in Liverpool. And, you know, we, we often hear people say, I support our armed forces, but that has to be followed by investment. Um, and that's why we need to make sure we give them the right equipment to match the foe. I, I used to come on your show quite a lot when I was a security minister, which has meant that I spent three years looking at the threat nearly every single day. And we were in danger of being overtaken by our adversaries. And we all remember what happened with the Snatch Land Rover in Afghanistan. We all remember uh, how many people lost their lives because there had been the failed to be the investment in the right equipment or the right tactics to meet the threat. And I think, you know, that is a defence secretary and a former soldier. 
That is not something I want to see happen. And the Prime Minister totally agrees and believes that one of our best exports and our best uh, you know, parts of government is defence. And that's why he's put his money where his mouth is and invested in us. And talk to us about this National Cyber Force that's going to be created alongside the new Space Command. Again, it all sounds very futuristic, but this is basically how future battles are, are likely to be fought, isn't it? Well, it's, it's one of the uh, parts of it, yes. I mean, we're not going to neglect the conventional armed forces uh, and run off the two new shiny things of cyber and space. We are also, in that money, investing in our conventional armed forces. We're doing better by our men and women of our armed forces. We will provide free wraparound childcare for them uh, up until the age of 11, their children are 11. So we'll invest in the people and their homes and their infrastructure, but also... What, what we know is that our adversaries have spotted our vulnerabilities. We are very dependent on in the West on space, our satellites. You know, everything from cash points to our, our mobile phones need uh, uh, satellites. And our adversaries have been testing weapons in space. They have been firing missiles into space, anti-satellite capabilities. And unless we provide some resilience and indeed protect those assets, you know, we can have spend all the money in the world on conventional forces, but if someone pulls the plug on our satellite, uh, then we would not know what to do. We wouldn't be able to be coordinated enough. So we've got to protect that vulnerability. And it's not just military, but it's, it's you know, our economy's vulnerabilities. Okay. Uh, and then in cyber, again, it goes to the point, I could spend lots and lots of money on missiles, but if someone hacks my control system, I won't be able to fire them. Uh, and therefore, uh, it's really important that we not only defend our cyber capabilities, but we also have the capability to potentially do to our adversaries what they may do to us. So, okay. you know, uh, that, that's really important as well. OK, I, mean, I think a lot of my listeners would absolutely understand. And again, that's that's where an awful lot of money is, uh, is going to be spent. Let's also talk about the huge costs of uh, the lockdown. We know from one of your colleagues being on my show, Robert Jenrick, that the government didn't carry out any cost-benefit analysis uh, of uh, of what the likely costs of, of a lockdown would be. We know there are huge economic costs. Uh, we know there are huge health costs. Uh, excess mortality right now is at home, under 65. It's not people dying of COVID in hospital. That's not where the exodus are, are coming from. Um, on the 4th of November, your boss, Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister, said, believe me, COVID lockdown restrictions in England will end on December the 2nd. Will they? Well, we will go into a tiered system from the lockdown on the 2nd of December. Um, and what those tiers are and which parts of the country go into the tiers will be defined in, I'm guessing, that final week before the 2nd of December based on the most recent statistics. Um, I would love to sit here like you and talk about getting back to normal as soon as possible. I'm a Lancashire MP. Lancashire and my constituency has been literally in a lockdown. They were a tier three area before uh, going right back to almost July. And we'd all like to get out of it. I know the personal cost of that type of um, lockdown. I also know the personal cost to many of the businesses in my constituency, and we would love it to get back to normal. But I also know in the Northwest, I was visiting Liverpool on Monday, the cost to the NHS and indeed to people's lives off uh, not dealing with this horrendous uh, COVID infection. And, you know, Julia, I don't think anyone has a 100% answer between that balance between livelihoods and lives. Don't we? I think it's, a really it's not. I think it's a really, really simple equation. If a lockdown policy costs more lives than it saves, 
then you don't have a lockdown. You said, I mean, you said we're going to go into a tiered system. The quote was, believe me, COVID mm. lockdown restrictions in England will end on December the 2nd. If we go back into tier three, that's no travel in and out of an area, no mixing between households, indoors or outdoors, rule of six if we are allowed out, pubs and bars only allowed to serve if they've got um, a substantial meal and the like, gyms still closed, um, libraries, hairdressers and the like. In what way is that not a version of lockdown? Well, hang on, I, I didn't say everyone's going to go straight into a tier three. I said what, what those tiers are and how they're applied will be, uh, you know, announced obviously in advance of that lifting you think, of the you think there's lockdown. You think some parts of the country could go back into tier two? <laughs> Well, what I, all I know is that if I look at the last, the tier three lockdowns, is they had some positive effect, uh, especially when, uh, in, in I remember, I think it was Bolton in my part of the world, a lockdown by also reducing uh, pubs, etc. activity. I think they actually closed their pubs, whereas in other parts of the of my constituency or Lancashire, that didn't happen. So we know that different measures have different effects. And we also know that different parts of the country have different population density and population density clearly contributes uh, to some of the uh, spread of this disease. So I think there are measures to be taken. You know, we're not going to eradicate on the 2nd of December COVID. We know it's highly infectious. What we do hope, though, and we are on track to do it, is in, in you know, in parallel to improving the track and trace, uh, that's why I went to, to Liverpool, for example, to see that pilot, we are now seeing closer and closer the delivery of a vaccine. Uh, you know, the armed forces, for example, one of the reasons the PM wanted to invest in us is Right now, our armed forces are planning how we're going to deliver that vaccine to people and those key cohorts of people. But realistically, once we've got a vaccine that works and it's all manufactured and we know that's that's already ongoing, uh, we are not looking at even the over 60s all being vaccinated before Easter. What hope does that hold out? We are, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think I am. We're going to be, until the government makes a political decision not to not to continue this, we're going to be in severe restrictions in terms of what businesses can do, who can be open, who can't, who we can see in our own homes or, or anywhere else. We're going to face severe restrictions pretty much for the rest of most of next year. Well, look, I, I, I certainly hope we're not. We and hope I we're hope, not, but well, we are, well, aren't look, we? Well, look, I, all I, you know, we are not alone in having to have these difficult decisions. Totally irrelevant. Look, totally irrelevant. You're, you're not the defence secretary for France or America. You're defence secretary for this country. No, no, but it isn't irrelevant. I mean, so people often hark about Sweden. But if you look, Sweden has just imposed a new lockdown that I think will actually see people going to prison if they don't comply with it. So, look, the, the, in, the, the, no, no, no. Can I can I point out? No, Sweden, Sweden's death rate is still incredibly, incredibly low. This is a the, 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 their lockdown rules are something akin to where we were in tier one for goodness sake well no i think you'll find that sweden has just launched some new lockdown measures quite severe are, i know there are some severe measures, but they, they actually um, so, so are I not think, much more severe than we were in uh, far, far long ago i i think uh you know we we, we are you know it isn't irrelevant how other countries in europe are dealing with it we're all developed economies and we all have that challenge uh i i you know on the on one hand my personal wish is is to try and get back to normal as much as possible but as a constituency mp uh, who represents a part of the area that has had uh, extra restrictions but also in the northwest high death rates and a high throughput in hospitals i have to look at the facts as i see them and i think 
you know, uh, what we're trying to do is slow down the rate of spread and the, slow down the rate of infection and at the same time improve the test and tracing regime so that you and I, in the end, can get a test very quickly and then know we're clear and go into work. Well, example. hold on a minute. The Prime Minister got a test very quickly. We know he hasn't got the COVID virus. We know he can't realistically be infected with the COVID virus again. He's already had it. We know that people keep immunity, the vast, 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 vast majority. And yet he's still self-isolating. What's the point of getting a test showing you're negative if you still have to self-isolate? Well, look, I, the government has, I think, already said that it's going to look at uh, some of these timings around it. But, but I also recognise that, um, you know, we're trying to set a set of rules uh, to guide uh, most people. And, and that's, you know, the rules are you isolate for 14 days. I had a COVID at the end of March. Uh, you know, uh, like everyone else, I probably dread the ping on my mobile phone saying that somebody somewhere I came in, in contact with and I'm going to have to self-isolate. Um, but but in reality, that is for the for the for the common good, trying to get through this, uh, Julia. But but, you know, what I can say is. Uh, things like the rollout of vaccines. The reason we've got the army involved already in it is I'd like to make it as quick as possible. Uh, I'd like to use as many people as possible to get the vaccine to as many people as quickly. And you've so, done the logistics, finally. You, I know I've taken you over your time, but you've done the logistics on this. You deal with facts. So does the army. That We know the army can roll this stuff out. It's what they do. How quickly can we inoculate and vaccinate the entire population and get back to normal life? Well, look, it, we, we have... You must you know, have an months. idea. Well, look, it depends on the demand signal of the Department of Health. If they want it to be done really, really quickly, as I have said to them, you can have my planes, my people, my vehicles. You, can, you know, we, we obviously have other defence tasks. Give me a date. We have to give me well, a date. I, 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 I won't give you the date yet because I think... Do you have one? Yet. Well, well, no, I don't have one yet, but I know we can do an awful lot very quickly. Across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. Talk Radio. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide. 
across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. Talk Radio. Right, well, let's talk to someone who definitely is not flying with, a lockdown sceptic who's been campaigning, I have to say, valiantly on this issue, Sir Desmond Swain, Tory MP for the New Forest West, and he's been among the many rebel MPs who voted against the second national lockdown, and no doubt Sir Desmond would vote against another one, although may not get a vote because, of course, it'll be uh, a lockdown in name, in, 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 you know, in reality, uh, but not in name, won't it? Uh, well, whatever. Uh, the reality is that the government has the power to impose it. And certainly we've seen the pitch being rolled for ending one lockdown and entering it in some form of another. I'm just speechless about the way that people simply shrug as our liberties are taken away and we're told we may be able to meet another family at Christmas, but, you know, you may not. I keep reminding people that the last time a government sought to interfere with the celebration of Christmas, it was Oliver Cromwell. And he asked the question, if he were to arm one in 10 of the population, would that be enough to enforce it? God, I mean, God, it's terrifying, isn't it? And this is the thing. I think there are millions of people like me who completely supported the first lockdown. New virus, didn't know how deadly it was. We'd seen, you know, the body bags piling up in northern Italy and what had happened in Wuhan in China. We were very, very, very scared. We, our hospitals were not prepared. We needed the extra capacity. We didn't know how to treat this. We didn't know who was dying, what was the risk. It, it, there was a very good, strong argument. There were arguments against lockdown, but there were very good, strong arguments to understand why a lockdown early on was, was the right thing to do. Within a matter of weeks, it became clear we did have more information, certainly within a couple of months. We, I mean, I definitely was someone who was thinking we should be getting out of lockdown much sooner than the government did. The argument of the second lockdown, we know that there was no um, impact assessment uh, done. We know that because a government cabinet minister has confirmed that to me. We've never seen it. You've asked for it. It's never been provided. It's not been done. If it has been done, then it gave a good argument. Let's be honest. They'd have put it out there. They haven't. We know that it's been done on modelling. Modelling again and again and again proved to be completely false, completely inaccurate uh, and completely useless. Um, and yet, as you say, you are speechless and so am I that people are shrugging along and going with this. Do you think the vast majority of people are saying, yes, this is what we need to do. We cannot lose a single person to COVID, no matter how many other people die of everything else as a result or the economy dies. It, COVID is the number one thing. People massively agree with that. Do you think people have been fooled into thinking this will make a difference? Or do you think that people are just pretending to go along? Well, I'm told by the polls that people thirst for ever more restrictions on their liberty uh, and ever greater lockdowns. Uh, but I've yet to find any of these people. Um, the reality is that people come to me utterly frustrated and angry uh, about what they're being required to do. And I'm certain that there would be much greater buy-in to a series of sensible measures if the government were to seek to persuade us and to level with us, present the data in a much more open and transparent way and say, look, it would be really helpful if you could do X, Y and Z. But I don't think we're prepared to be told and ordered about as if we were in some fascist state any longer. And yet, look, I think that I think the lockdown is not only silly, uh, and wrong. I think it's costing lives. The reason I despair so much right now is it is it's not sort of, oh, well, I don't like it. It's not because I want to go to the pub. It's because I think 
I think, not I think, I know, and the government knows, because they've seen the same figures that I are, that they, this, this is very clear. Lockdowns will cost more younger lives and ruin the economy for much longer than, than the alternatives, uh, including the, this idea of letting it rip, which is not what anyone's calling for. Um, so I, I, I think this is an existential battle that people are, fa- are facing. Uh, the, the question is here, I'm not someone who's willing to break the law, not just because of my job. I'm kind of just brought up to be a law-abiding person. OK, yeah, I'm sure I'm speeded above the speed limit a few times. I'm genuinely someone who abides by the law. And the British people generally are as well. We are seeing protests, more and more protests. We are seeing protests. I mean, there have been protests in France, in Germany, in, in, in Portugal, and many other places around uh, the, the, the Europe uh, where people are, are, are saying enough is enough. We're not putting up with this anymore. The majority of people listening to this who don't like the lockdown... Uh, but they want to obey the law. What can they do to, to to fight against it? That's where people feel powerless and despairing. Well, their right to protest has been taken away, along with their right to worship uh, and the right free association and all the rest, because, you know, you can't join a demonstration. You are stand to be fined uh, up to £10,000 for being involved uh, with a demonstration. So you can... Basically, I'm receiving, you know, literally thousands of letters a week of protest. Uh, I think that's all people can do is is demand action from their members of parliament. Parliament is supposed to represent the people. I think you've simply got to get through to us in parliament that you've had enough. But the polls tell the polls, tell the government and all the MPs that what people want is more lockdown. They want more measures. They want more controls. They want they want more punishment for people who break them. Well, that's that's why I'm scandalised that people simply shrug as liberties that were won at a huge cost over generations are swept away. But as I said, you know, whilst the pollsters are telling us these things, I've yet to find these people. They're not. You know, there's no there's no deluge of protest um, in my inbox telling me that people want tougher measures. It's the opposite. People want control of their own lives again. And as I say, if the government were to level with us and seek to persuade us to behave in particular ways, I think it'd be much more successful than simply being ordered to do things. Now, we know that there were a whole load of Tory MPs who voted against and even abstained. I mean, amazing that Theresa May, a, a former prime minister and former Tory leader, actually uh, abstained on that vote last time around. 34 of the 38 MPs who voted against were Tories for the lockdown measures. Those That legislation falls on December the Second, but the government has said we're going to go into some version of the tier system. There ain't going to be any tier one and tier two for anyone. It's going to be it's going to be locked down in all but name, even with some non-essential shops allowed to open. Good for them, but uh, not much for people's freedoms. Um, there is a requirement on the government under the emergency legislation that's been extended till March. There isn't a requirement on them to have another vote on that, is there? No. Um, the reality is that the government has powers under the 1984 Public Health Act to impose these things and simply introduce the statutory instruments uh, subsequently. So effectively, the statutory instrument is is a vote to annul the regulations rather than to implement the regulations. So the government has the power to implement them anyway and then subsequently have votes in Parliament. Uh, the government has said that it would nevertheless do things in advance, but it doesn't have to. Um, Why do you think Boris Johnson 
is going ahead, has gone ahead with the lockdown, is going ahead with all this, this talk and allowing, you know, people to give Downing Street press conferences talking about effects of you know, 25 days of punishment. That's what it is, punishment uh, for five days of, of, of seeing granny and eating some turkey at the same table as granny. Um, why do you think he's 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 going ahead with this? Is it because he thinks it's popular? Do you think he is convinced by uh, the medics? Because I mean, I'm always amazed the number of cabinet ministers I have on the show, including the health secretary Matt Hancock, who spout facts and figures to me, which I know are based on the government's own official data is untrue. I can't believe that the prime minister and his advisers aren't able to read a graph, read statistics, read the round that, you know, what, what is going on in terms of the, the, the falling infection rates, uh, the, the hospitals not being overwhelmed, uh, the, the, the survival rate for, for people not just under 80, but over 80 from this virus. Um, that they are not they must be seeing the same stuff as me because these aren't these aren't uh, you know subjective facts and figures they are official objective data if they're seeing the same stuff that i'm seeing and you're seeing why why would they be going ahead with these measures uh, i you know i can only speculate that they've been captured by this scientific establishment um and are are deaf uh, to the clinical and scientific voices that are saying that they've got this wrong uh, and that they are, uh, you know, they simply can't grapple with the huge economic damage and healthcare damage that is being done by their policies. I think we just have to keep making the argument. Well, we are going to keep making the argument. I know you've done a valiant job and I salute you for that. Just finally, I must ask you about um, your previous job as an international development minister. Um, all this money, £16.5 billion going on defence at a time when we're told the foreign aid budget will be cut. I mean, it will be cut automatically, sorry, international development aid. It will be cut automatically anyway by the fact that it's a 0.7% of GDP uh, spending. And of course, GDP goes down with, uh, with the doldrums we're in in the economy now. So it would go down anyway. But um, what do you make of people who are saying, oh, you've got money money for space age weapons but you haven't got money for the poorest in the world well i think space age weapons are important but equally i think it's very important that we maintain um our foreign aid budget because this is our investment in a more stable and prosperous world uh, it is also the way that we effectively project power and influence in the world. And at a time when we're leaving the European Union, I think maintaining that power and influence, that soft power, is very, very important. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, Talk Radio. Uh, right now, let's turn our attention to what's been going on, not for Boris Johnson making decisions about whether or not we're allowed to you know, see our families or not, uh, but uh, whether or not uh, Jeremy Corbyn should still be in the Labour Party. Well, uh, as, of course, we knew on the date of the Equality and Human Rights Commission report, Jeremy Corbyn basically did exactly what the report was uh, criticising him and others for, which was playing down the seriousness of uh, the anti-Semitism problem in the Labour Party. He did just that. He was immediately suspended by Sir Keir Starmer uh, as a member of the Labour Party. Party. A lot of people very, very cheered by that swift action. However, uh, very soon after that, now we have seen 19 days later, Jeremy Corbyn back in the Labour Party after being a fast tracked uh, back in uh, after his appeal uh, from basically a whole bunch of his own acolytes. Uh, this uh, was met by Sir Keir Starmer pointing out that, well, he was not going to be having the Labour whip in the House of Commons. He'll have to sit as an independent MP. But is that going to be enough? Well, let's talk to Marriott van der Zyl, who's president of the Board of Deputies of British Jews. Good morning to you. 
morning. Morning. Good morning, Mary. Um, there's no doubt at all that the Sakir Starmer, the very first statement he made when he became a Labour leader was about uh, wanting to uh, you know, rebuild relationships uh, and reassure the Jewish community. Swift action on the day of the Equality and Human Rights Commission report, but and now saying, look, he's not going to be sitting as an MP on my benches. Is it enough? Look, I have to say, he's always said that he's going to be judged by his his actions. And two days ago was a very, very uh, dark day for the Jewish community when, as you said so well, he was fast-tracked uh, back into the Labour Party. But look, his decision, Keir Starmer's decision um, to withhold the whip, I think that's a courageous decision. And this has to be the right decision, this non-apology I'm going to call it non-apology uh, from Jeremy Corbyn uh, wanting the matter resolved quickly should just be consigned uh, to the dustbins of history because as far as I'm concerned, he's a man that's brought anti-Semitism from the fringes of society to the Labour Party. Yeah. But Keir Starmer um, has to implement the EHRC findings in an action plan uh, in early December. And he absolutely made the right uh, the right decision and we have to move, try and move forward. But tackling the culture of the Labour well, Party is it, 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 years. It's clearly not just a Jeremy Corbyn no. problem because the no. fact that his case was fast-tracked and he was he was allowed back into the party, I mean, that kind of tells you how much it has invaded the Labour Party. Absolutely. Labour become, has become a home for over-anti-Semites. It's going to be years and years and the culture... Uh, of the party and what happens at the CLPs has got to be tackled. And this is going to be a really difficult job. But Keir Starmer, as leader of the Labour Party, his duty is to make sure there is zero tolerance. And that means precisely that, whether it's for anti-Semites or their apologists, there's no place for those sorts of people in the Labour Party. I mean, there is an issue. But I don't think for one moment that Sir Keir Starmer is anti-Semitic. I, I, I genuinely do not think that and, and his front no, no. bench. However, I, I do genuinely think that... It, it, but on, on the matter of probabilities, Jeremy Corbyn, you cannot spend that much time defending people who are anti-Semitic, who are blatantly anti-Semitic, sharing platforms over the years uh, and, be, and, and, and calling people friends of groups who are which have blatantly anti-Semitic, not anti-Israel, anti semitic Semitic policies uh, like Hamas and the other and others. Um, I, I do think that Jeremy Corbyn is anti-Semitic. Um, however, Keir Starmer, for all of the words that he said, when he says he wants to be judged on his actions, his actions for the last few years were to try and get Labour Party into power and Jeremy Corbyn into number 10. On the 18th and 19th of December last year, he less than a year ago, he was campaigning to put Jeremy Corbyn into number 10 Downing Street. Those are his actions. Is does I mean? Is there anything? I mean, there were other people who left the party, who who left the front bench, that he would not serve with Jeremy Corbyn. He didn't do that. So, are you going to trust him to take action now? It's not a matter of trust. I can assure you, uh, as uh, Keir Starmer said to me, I have to judge him as leader. Uh, on his actions. In the election campaign, he signed up to the Board of Deputies 10 pledges and he made it clear there's a long, long way to go if Labour's got any hope of positioning itself. But he has to be judged on what he now does as leader. That's what we have to do going forwards. But it's not a question of trust and it, and yeah. it, and it is a big mountain to climb. And then the next thing he has to do is to implement the EHRC report. And when they say, by the way, They've accepted the report. Let's be under no illusions here. It's a statutory report. They've got no choice. 
Across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. Talk Radio. Thanks for listening to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and give me a good review. And don't forget to catch me on the Talk Radio Breakfast Show every weekday from 6.30 until 10. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.